Do you want to learn how to make your own beer? It's time for Just Brew It, brought to you by Niagara Tradition Homebrew. Here's your host, Jeremy White and Bert Deister. Good Saturday morning. Welcome to Niagara Tradition's Just Brew It here on ESPN 1520. Jeremy White and Bert Deister. Good morning. Last week we talked about brewing in uh, heat and in summer, and it's been cold all week. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I, I, just, I figured I brought that. The one thing is that the mosquito bite count has gone down oh, a little good. bit. I'm... You know, on the positive end of that. And it's been a little bit easier fermenting. You know what I mean? Definitely if you uh, don't have a fermentation chamber, um, it's been a nice day to sit around a, you know, hot burner for, you know, three hours and make a batch of beer. Yeah. So it's been good brewing weather. So we're thankful for that. Yeah, so last week was changing your yeast for the weather. And, I mean, as you just said, it hasn't been all that difficult. We also talked about spruce beer uh, last week. So if you want to find that, it's on demand at our website at ESPN1520 and at WGR550.com. Uh, this week, we're going to get into Mexican versus American lager. But before we do that, uh, one of the big days of the year coming up to try and get a friend into brewing. In this case, the friend might be Dad, yep. Father's Day. Or maybe Dad already is a brewer, and you can uh, help him out by getting him some stuff for Father's Day. Yeah, definitely. So if he isn't a brewer already and he, he likes gadgets, he likes cooking, get him a five-gallon startup kit. If if they like grilling, if they like drinking beer, the beer startup kit is going to go great. You know what I mean? It's a hobby. They can tinker. They can cook. And then, you know what I mean, you can consume, too. Yep. Um, I mean, and also, if Dad's already into beer, maybe brew a beer batch for him. So if, if you're always brewing IPAs and he'd rather have a cream ale, brew your dad a damn cream ale. And if you want to go back to last year's Father's Day show, we talked about cream ales for Dad there um but yeah brew with dad they like that yeah personal announcement anytime i see a cream ale on a menu now i'm gonna get it i made a point to do that like the last three times i've seen one and i've yeah. been happy with it it's a yeah. great summer style yeah and, and there's you know really a lot of diversity right so if you go to like you know you think of jenny cream ale as like the original like one of american light recipes and then you go to say like rusty Nich- nickel and they have like two creamsicles none of them taste like yeah um uh you know jenny light very good you know nice little hot flavor in there too so um, yeah, try a cream ale when you see it, especially a craft cream ale. You'd be really happy. Yeah. All right, so startup kits, that's a great idea for Dad. Brew with Dad. Uh, Father's Day on the way, not this weekend, but next weekend, so plan ahead for Father's Day. I always know when Father's Day is because of the U.S. Open, and I know the U.S. Open isn't happening right now, mm-hmm. so it's not Father's Day. Yeah. Like it, it pretty much lines up. Yeah. Uh, no, for a lot of dads, that's a convenient thing. Sit around yeah. at home, watch the U.S. Open. My dad's not a golf watcher, thank God, and so we usually go fishing or brew beer. All right, a couple other things to get to. Uh, summer draft and brewing supplies. Yes, we have it all. So if you need like party taps, if you're trying to do a kegerator conversion, turn an old fridge or a new fridge, which a lot of people do, right into a kegerator, we have all that. I mean, if you need brewing supplies for summer, we have wart chillers, we have high BTU propane burners, uh, and everything you need to move your brewing outside, as well as clay king kits. But another thing we've been uh, asked about a few times is jockey boxes. And kind of where do they fall in? So, I mean, if you've ever been to, um, you know, a beer tasting, uh, you've seen a jockey box. They're the cooler that sits up on the uh, table, which the beer runs through and chills it on the way to the tap. Uh, We do carry two different types of jockey boxes at all times. Or, well, we carry one style of pre-made, and then we have the stuff to help you make a kind of custom one if you want to. And there's two ways you can go with this. Um, A cold plate 
or a coil. So a cold plate is a high density aluminum block and you have small stainless steel lines running back and forth many times. The coil is just a stainless steel coil, looks like your wart chiller. You sink it in ice and it chills the beer on the way to the tap. Now these are not something I would recommend using on a daily basis. They're not like a substitute for a kegging system because you can't really keep the beer cold permanently. And so you'd worry about the beer going bad over time. And you'd also be changing out ice every two to three days which would get, you know, really annoying. But for parties, for barbecues, for times that you want to basically put a draft system, you know, anywhere uh, other than in your basement or wherever it's easy to get a refrigerator, a jockey box helps. So they usually let the beer warm up. You don't have to, but it's okay to let the beer warm up. They'll reduce the pressure on the way to the tap and they'll chill the beer in that ice. You always want to get beer running through them before you put the ice in so you don't freeze the lines, but they are nice. They're good for hunting camps, uh, you know, barbecues, golf outings, and stuff like that where you want draft beer, um, but you don't want to be lugging a giant bucket full of ice. So you end up with a small cooler, ice in the cooler. You can go ahead and you want to keep the beer, you know, under 70 degrees, but you can go ahead and put it under a blanket for the weekend and just serve out of this jockey box. If you have a bar in the backyard and you can't run power to it and you want to have beer there for special events, the jockey box with the cold plate is going to be perfect. You know, you can put... Um, a small cooler underneath your bar, put the, the cold plate in there, put a tower on top of the bar, and, you know, chill the beer on the way. Mm -hmm. So we do have jockey boxes. They're not for everyday use, but if you do a lot of entertaining, if you bring a lot of kegs to barbecue, um, they may be for you. All right. So we have them in stock, ready to go. Latest on hop rhizomes. We still have a few. We're kind of getting towards the end of the planting season. I think we're going to be running out soon. Um, but I think we still have some Chinook um, and some Mount Hood and a couple other varieties. So if you're just trying to get something in the ground this year, we still have varieties. Okay. The brewing controller, the Keg King brewing Been controller. Going over very well. I purchased one as soon as we got them in. I haven't had a chance to use it yet, but I still hooked it up to my fermentation chamber and just basically played with the temperatures. It's nice. Um, compared to a lot of the other controllers, it handles uh, higher wattage. But the other big thing I really like about it is it has a backlit screen. Um, so for a lot of people, and, and this, you really got to be a lifelong home brewer to understand this, you go down, peek your head into the basement, and you want to know that your temperature is right. Uh -huh. If it just had a liquid crystal screen, you're walking across, you're pulling out the cell phone light, you're looking – I can see the temperature from across the basement on this thing. So I love it. I can see if it's heating or cooling mode, so I can just kind of peek around uh, and see what's happening to it. But it seems really heavy-duty, good heavy probe wire. Um, a lot of these controllers come with some pretty wimpy probes, um, and it's also replaceable. So even if you you know have this beefy probe wire and you accidentally cut it, you know ruin it somehow, you can get a replacement as well. Yeah. So that's helpful. And that's $70? $70. Okay. So really cheap as far as digital controllers go. The Anvil Brewing Pump. That has been popular as well. 60 bucks for a pump compared to like the $150. It also doesn't have half-inch MPT fitting, but it has just straight half-inch barbs. So if you have a cooler, you want to start recirculating, you want to start doing herms and rims, and you don't want to spend the money for $150 like Chugger Pump or $200 Blickman Riptide, this is a nice alternative. And for a lot of people, I think it gets them into 
you know what I mean? Using a pump, doing like a horizontal brewing system. Um, we've seen a couple people just use it to move hot liquor around um, so that they don't have to lift it. And for 60 bucks, that's going to be a big back saver. It make brew day a little bit safer. Yeah. So you don't have to try to lift up, you know, you know, five to six gallons of hot 170 degree water up above your head. Um, makes a huge difference. Yeah. All right. Good stuff. Uh, and again, you guys are open today. Regular business Regular hours this hours week. Today. I'm trying to think Supposed like the next tomorrow. the next holiday would be no, we get into 4th this of July. July. No, yeah. We, we have a ways in the United States before we get a nice summer holiday. Yeah. So we got what, three summer holidays and then a bunch of ones during the bad season. Yeah, right. So Doesn't make it, much sense. Yeah. We need to take Flag Day more seriously. Absolutely. Right. Any any summer holiday, any national, you know, whatever, national peanut butter day, sure. Yeah. Let's make it a national holiday. Let's get some more days off in the summer. All right, we're going to get into Mexican versus American lager. Let's do a little bit here before the break. Uh, what is it that makes a Mexican lager? I, I, it's funny. I don't think in the years we've been doing the show we've ever talked about one. No, no, we haven't. And it's, we, mean, we have a lot of good summer topics, but this is one I thought we would get to um, – because a lot, I think a lot of people are kind of appreciating them a little bit more. When you know, I see a Mexican, Mexican lager, I feel like I know exactly what I'm going to get. Yeah. Like, I, I feel like it's a very reliable style. Well, it, there's, there's a lot of differentiation between them. So, you know what I mean? But there's a couple common factors. And the big thing that I think always sets them apart from American lagers is there is some malt flavor there. And there is, like, a crisp hop bitterness. So they tend to have a little bit more flavor than the American light locker, but they're also still very dry. They're very low calorie, and they're also very low gluten, which some people yeah. uh, are looking at for when it comes to Mexican lagers. Um, and there's you know a different history behind it. What, um, what is the history? What's the genesis? How did Mexican lagers? I, I would imagine how did how did Mexico or South America in general get the big uh, like Austrian? influence well not just that but like were they made just based on hey it's always warm out and i want something refreshing i mean i think that always goes yeah that always goes i mean you see sometimes though like in uh like caribbeans like a lot dark beers are popular um and the reason is they taste better as they warm up so if refrigeration yeah. isn't always available or not as cold as you would like it sometimes these darker roastier beers taste a little bit better and there is some of those darker roastier malts or not roasted but some darker base malts in a lot of the mexican lagers as well as some dark caramels and light touches of roasted malts and some of like you know say like negro modella or something like that which has a little bit of kind of toffee tone to it but i think with the history of it i mean it wasn't really uh we'll say a secret that surprisingly you know through good portion of the the 50s and the, the 60s and 70s that mexico had better beer than the united states um you think of like you know the writings of hunter s thompson and stuff like that where you know he's saying when you're in mexico drink the beer not so much being afraid of the water but they have really good beer yeah uh so drink it while you're there and they kind of have this reputation for while still producing you know mass-produced light-bodied beers having a little bit more flavor to it and, and there is a little bit of history there going back to the the mid uh 19th century and so we're going to go back to uh ferdinand maximilian the first oh the first okay, so yeah. the <laughs> the the very short ruling um emperor of the second uh you know mexican empire um and so a pretty 
good. I mean, his rule was very short, three years before execution. Um, but a pretty, we'll say, okay. So as not exactly far a dynasty. Foreign, yeah, not exactly a huge dynasty, but a uh, pretty good as far as his policies were for a uh, foreign dic- appointed dictator. But that's a whole other story of, of Ferdinand Maximilian. But he was Austrian. He was a former, uh, he was the Hasburg. He was the uh, former commander of the Austrian Royal Navy um, and royal family. And so he was this attempt um, by actually the French, I believe, in the um, the Mexican War of Intervention is an attempt to keep some European, uh, we'll say, oversight, not control, because they just kicked out the Spanish and uh, the English in Mexico. So he was appointed leaders in Austrian, uh, as well as with him came many Austrian and Eastern European immigrants for this kind of short period. But while he obviously... Uh, didn't uh, stay there long, or, well, stay alive there long. A lot of these immigrants did, and they brought with them the rich, toasted base malts of, like, you know, Vienna and Munich from Eastern Europe and brought those kind of into the, you know, Mexican brewing scene. Now, there were traditional Mexican, you know, kind of air quotes here, beer um, that was brewed with things like pineapple and corn, um, so mostly fruit and corn to make kind of like a very sweet low-alcohol beverage, um, almost like a pito. Um, however, you know, as we got into the 19th century and industrialization, you did start to see some kind of permanent brewing establishments, and they kept this kind of fusion uh, style where you were combining Austrian ingredients with, you know, corn to make a light-bodied beer good for hot climates, both fermenting and for drinking. Okay. Well, let's get into how to make them, what to do, the things to uh, consider if you're going to make a Mexican lager on the other side. It's Niagara Traditions Just Brew It on ESPN 1520. Jeremy White here for Niagara Tradition Home Brewing Supplies. You're listening to Just Brew It, which means either you homebrew or you're thinking about it. Wherever you are in the process, Niagara Tradition Homebrew is your source for everything homebrewing. Do what I did. Get a starter kit, and you'll be well on your way. Niagara Tradition will be there to answer your questions, give you advice, and as I try to become a more seasoned brewer, I know I can count on Niagara Tradition to be there with the supplies and the advice I need. Niagara Tradition Homebrewing Supply. 1296 Sheridan Drive, near Military, in Tonawanda. Open Monday through Friday, 11 to 7, Saturdays, 10 to 4, and 24-7 at nthomebrew.com. Niagara Tradition Homebrew. Pay them a visit, and remember to just brew it. All right, welcome back to Niagara Tradition's Just Brew It. We're talking Mexican lagers. Jeremy White with Bert Deister. We just got the history. Uh, Ferdinand, what's his? Maximilian Maximilian the First. I. in his short-lived dynasty. All right, so Mexican lagers. Yeah, so, I mean, we got a little bit into the history, and the first thing we need to look at, as we were talking about, was with the corn and the, you know, Vienna malts. So if you're trying to make a classic, you know, Mexican style, the first thing you need to do is bring in a lot of corn and, therefore, a lot of rice hulls into the equation to help bring the body down. Um, If you're trying to make something like a, you know, Corona light, you probably want to stick to Pilsner malts, but most people are trying to make something more like a Dos Equis Amber or a Negro Modella. There's something a little bit richer, a little bit more flavorful. Um, I mean, you can just lie to your house guests, serve them your light beer with the lime in it, and they probably won't know much of a difference. But if you're trying to make that authentic Mexican beer, you know what I mean? You're trying to make that rich, malty, but light-bodied beer. And so I would suggest something about, like, 
40% corn, and then like 60% say like Vienna malt or 30-30 Pilsner Vienna. Um, so you're trying to bring in a little bit extra, you know, body there. Um, and that kind of gives it. So when you look at an American lager, you probably have about 20% corn on average or rice. Um, when you go to the Mexican lager, they use a lot more corn, which obviously doesn't give you any toasty flavors, but they're using a much richer base malt. So you get these intense multi flavors in kind of light portions. Um, and so there is flavor there, but again, it's not overwhelming like it would be in, say, a true like uh, Vienna style. And if you want to pick up a true Vienna style, I think Rusty Chain is really okay. probably the best example that I can uh, think of. And for a long time in Eastern Europe, as these kind of more Western German mass-produced pilsners kind of swept over Europe, it was only in Mexico that you could traditionally find these Vienna style beers. So that's a little interesting tidbit too, um, that really there was more... Uh, authentic Austrian beers in Mexico at one time than there was in Austria um, in the mid-20th century. But so that's what you're going to do with the malt. You're going to mix in a lot of corn. You're going to go with, you know, some Eastern European malt. I'd like to stick towards the richer end to make a darker beer. Uh, you can put in little bits of Cara Roma, uh, Carafa Special in there to help add a little bit of color and a little bit of roastiness. But we're talking light amounts. I mean, usually in like the tablespoon quantity or like you know i mean an eighth of a pound a sixteenth of a pound so we're talking a couple ounces not very much now the yeast is another interesting factor and until recently there really wasn't any we'll say mexican yeast available um everybody would use uh california steam beer yeast which works out well or they would use like bohemian warm fermenting lager yeast so like wine stefan or bohemian lager um and the trick always was to it is obviously with these mexican beers over some of their german counterparts there's a little bit more yeast uh we'll say kind of uh flavor and they, and they attenuate a little bit higher than they do in their european counterparts and yes partially that is because of the corn but the other big thing is the fermentation temperature um so usually with a mexican style lager you pitch a warm fermentation yeast, but try to cut back on bad phenols. You pitch a lot of that yeast. So you pitch a large pitch, you know what I mean, of a generally forgiving lager yeast. And White Labs does have now like a, they say like a Mexico, you know, deriv derived from a Mexico City brewery lager yeast that is really classic to the style. Um, and so we carry that all summer for you. Um, but the lager yeast it warm fermentation is one of the kind of keys to these Mexican beers. And they do have a little bit of fruit flavor in the background. I think a lot of people think it comes from the hops, and it really does not. It comes from the yeast. And so warm fermentation lager yeast is always key for this style. And then pitch a lot of it because you don't, while you want it fermented warm, you don't want it to be a complete, you know, phenol bomb. Okay. Um, and then the last thing is water. Um, which I did a little bit of research on this because often in older guides and older recipes, we would see advice when brewing a Mexican-style beer to use softer water, just like you would for an American light um, and just like you would for a kind of, uh, you know, bohemian-style pilsner. Um, and that was the, you know, traditional method. You would, you know, say take some RO or distilled water, 
maybe 50%, maybe, you know, as high as 65%. And you would mix that in with your tap water to help reduce the mineral content. Um, but I notice a lot of the guides have been changing. And a lot of the recipes you see in Zymergy Brewery, your own from Mexican style beers, have all of a sudden come with this bigger mineral content, which I think makes a little bit more sense. It's hard to find. There's, uh, there's one or two on brewer's friend as far as like uh mexican water profiles and if you do a little bit more digging into individual city profiles what you begin to find is that mexican water is quite hard uh particularly with the uh calcium and the uh gypsum and so what you'll see now for a guide and it makes sense because we're talking about using small amounts of you know pilsner and vienna but getting a you know good amount of flavor from them without creating a lot of residual body as well as like a crisp bitterness from the hops so you're looking at a hard water profile and gypsum and calcium and you're looking i've seen guides anywhere up to like 50 uh 75 so 50 parts per million uh calcium and uh you know about 70 uh parts per million um uh gypsum so that's, that's pretty high i mean that's not like west coast style ipa range um but that's much higher than you would ever see in like say an austrian or you know be bohemian like czech style beer and so having that bigger water profile will make quite the difference on getting a you know the right flavors mm-hmm. out of the the mexican lager is mexican lager a flavor that for this area, you know, we talk about the Uniha and Amber Waste of Grain. Are there entries in these styles? Are they ever really brought about? There, We do see some, but you don't see a lot. And I think partially is competition season. It's usually towards the end of winter, early spring. Um, and obviously, we're doing the show, <clears throat> you know, sitting here in early June, because that's when people really want to... Um, brew it i mean i I don't want to have a you know be sitting on a keg of you know dosaki's clone in the middle of december i want my black ipa you know what i mean i want um you know a big like stout or something like that and then when it comes to competition seasons one of the reasons why i think i always do well in grow disky is because it's around easter and i have it yeah um the same thing with a lot of kolsch you always see a lot of kolsch and amber waves of grain in uniha and i think that's also because you know, you want to brew for competition. You're donating. You're, you're sending in two bottles. You're keeping, you know, 52. So you always have to think about what you want to drink, what you want to have for the summer. And so I think with most of the competitions being in the spring and late winter, you end up with winter beers, spring beers, and not a ton of uh, summer beers. And I think Saison is a big you yeah. know, factor in that. While yeah. Saison is really hugely popular, you know what I mean? Same with Sours. Um, among home brewers, they don't get a proportionally high number of entries. You do get a few saisons, but you don't get that high number like I know a lot of home brewers are making, partially because I think the competitions are just, you know, not at the right time of year for it. How about when uh, we did ours, when we did ours in the Niagara competition, which was in early fall, uh, we had something like a third of our entries were saisons. Um, that's pretty high for yeah. any competition yeah. to have a third of your entries be saisons but it was at the end of the summer and we did have some mexican style lagers in there as well how about degree of difficulty where do you put mexican style lager easy very easy the only factor they really tell people to worry about is the fact that you're using 
you know, four pounds of flake corn. So you want to do a slow mash. Be careful with your flow. Never let it get too high because that's going to create a lot of suction. That's going to pull your mash bed down and use a lot of rice hulls. You know, that will really make the difference in this one is having a lot of rice hulls. The, the corn is hammer milled, it's flaked, and it just really wants to sit on top of each other really nicely and make like a scale. So mix it in with your, you know, regular barley malt, mix in a bunch of rice hulls, and you should be okay. But it's really easy. I mean, I guess the, the struggle for any home brewer in a style like this is also don't overhop it. You know what I mean? Um, and you know what I mean? Stay away from trying to make it without the corn. You're just not going to get the flavors that you're looking for. You're not going to get that, you know, kind of fruity nose to it that the corn brings. And you're also not going to get that low terminal gravity. You'll end up with a, you know, slightly more attenuated, slightly more estery kind of Vienna style if you end up trying to find the lightest Vienna malt and mash it like really thin and that was my strategy for years soft okay. water I would end up with this kind of slippery warm and I was like you know not understanding what was going wrong but mixing in high corn more than you would in American light and also adjusting that water profile lots of gypsum lots of calcium really made a difference uh, with using little amounts of you know these Eastern European style base malts to get a lot of flavor. And that really makes a difference in the style. All right. A couple minutes left. Anything that popped up this week, a question of the week you got in the store? Not really. Not that I can, not that I can think of. Uh, we're getting a lot of people wondering, you know, like with the, the hop rhizomes, whether they should be trimming them or anything like okay. that. And I say if it's first year, no. So as, if we've gotten the kind of warm, a little bit of rain, and then a little cool front, the hops are going nuts for a lot of people. I know yeah. mine are. Uh, mine are a like third year hop. I'm only cosmetically trimming them. I'm not doing any trimming for growth. Um, I know that I'll get more than enough hops at the end of the season. Um, so if they're growing somewhere that you don't want them, obviously trim them. You're not going to lose the whole rhizome from just trimming off um, a couple of vines coming up. Um, but generally, if it's a first-year plant, you don't want to trim them at all. You want to give them every shot that they can to kind of, you know, photosynthesize. So don't take any leaves away. Right. All right. That's about about it for us for Niagara Traditions Just Brew It. Again, it is uh, not yet Father's Day weekend. That's next weekend. Yep, so you have a week to think about it. We'll have the startup kit stacked up um, all week. If dad's already a home brewer, you don't want to get him a gift certificate, you don't want to pick out ingredients for him, and you you want to get him something, talk to him a little bit. Yeah. Maybe brew with him over the course of the week here so you know what he might need. Um, well, I'd say one gift certificate always is what the person And needs. one way you could do it is very simply you decide you're a brewer and your dad is mildly interested. Just pick out one of the pre-made kits that you've got to show him how you yeah. do it. You know, you know what you're doing, but, you know, you want to teach him, like, the Cliff Notes version well, the, of it. The other thing I think a lot of brewers have is, um, and I know this sounds like a bad problem, um, but uh, you are always wanting to brew more than you can drink. I know this is true for me right now. I got the kegerator stocked. I got the fermentation chamber, you know, stocked with just carboys and secondaries. I want to make beer. I can't drink it enough. If Maybe get your dad a kegerator. You know what I mean? I know a lot of times I'll make 10 gallons, and I'll say, here, Dad, take the other five. Like, mm -hmm. I wanted to make 10 gallons. Here's the $30 keg of beer. You know what I mean? Enjoy. Yep. And, and Dad will really like that. So get him the kegerator. You've been dying to make 10 gallons instead of five. 
start making 10 gallons and throw the extra five dad's way. He'll appreciate it. All right. That's it for us. We'll talk to you next week. Happy Father's Day in advance. We'll talk to you once more before Father's Day ultimately hits. Uh, Niagara Traditions just brew it on ESPN 1520. You've been listening to Just Brew It, brought to you by Niagara Tradition Home Brew. Whether you're a seasoned brewer or just want to get started, visit them at 1296 Sheridan Drive in Tonawanda or online at nthomebrew.com. And be sure to tune in next week for another episode of Just Brew It.